Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 251 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the card-slinging creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and All That Good Shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com. Or back on the description page for this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find a link to a real card slinger, a professional card slinger. I just do it for myself, for fun, but the theme for September here is tarot, and so I had to bring a badass card slinger on board, and so we have today the lovely Jessie Huntenberg. Hello, I'm really happy to be here, and thank you for that awesome introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jesse. So, for people don't who don't know you, you are a tarot reader, but you have a very interesting background that I think I think this is why I gravitated toward you, Jesse, because there are so many tarot readers making YouTube videos, and I know you first and foremost through YouTube although we chat on Twitter sometimes, uh, but you're not like a super flashy person, you know? And I was thinking like, what makes her special? Like, how do I describe what makes Jessie special? And I think it's just a very grounded sincerity and you definitely have a depth of knowledge. And in reading your bio, I saw that you have an academic background in literature and critical theory. So I thought that might have something to do with it, but, um, can you tell us what you think makes you distinct as a tarot reader? Uh, I think, honestly, you kind of hit the nail on the head. And I am not the only person with a literature background that I know who's a card slinger. I know of at least two other people. But there is there are huge parallels between the system of tarot and between critical theory. And critical theory just is generally, it's a way of approaching literature through interpretation. So it's approaching it through philosophy, through psychology, um, even through pop culture. It just seeks to understand literature uh, in a more in-depth kind of way. And many of the archetypes that are represented in the tarot are also represented in literature. So long before I even picked up a deck of cards, I was incredibly familiar with certain characters as they're referred to in literature, um, you know, certain stock characters. And just having that background knowledge of those characters just made it so not, it's never easy to undertake a study of tarot. I don't want to create any misconceptions there, but it was an easier transition. And also the, the theory aspect made it uh, much more of a, a natural transition for me because when we're, well, when I'm reading the tarot, basically what I'm seeing in the cards is a visual representation of certain situations or energies or conflicts, what have you, that the querent is being faced with at the time. I can look at the cards and apply those archetypes to the situation that my querent is approaching me with and do so in a way that is in-depth and seamless, I think specifically because I have this background. Mm -hmm. um, I, 
yeah, I also have a lot of experience writing critically. Uh, so many of the readings I do are email readings. So I'm just well-versed in that kind of writing style. And I think that that uh, really lends itself to reading tarot. Right. Yeah, I think one of the most powerful things to understand for people, I myself, I read tarot every single day for myself. It's something I do for myself. I don't read for other people, um, but I love it and I'm fascinated by it. And one thing I think really, really helps, um, I too am, am a reader and a writer and a lover of literature. And for me, understanding Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey is so helpful when you go mm -hmm. to learn to row, at least with the major arcana specifically, because understanding that journey, you can look at, or the way that a lot of plays and screenplays are broken into a three-act structure, you can look at that and it starts to make sense in terms of the journey that you're going on through to row and how it are in your life and how to row is reflecting that back at you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the hero's journey is key. And I mean, many people, when they're learning tarot, will approach the major arcana through the hero's journey just because it creates, uh, it's something solid to hold on to as you're learning things. I find that if something has an overarching structure, that it's really good to understand the structure before you dive into the minutiae, because as long as you're familiar with that structure, uh, you can automatically begin to make connections in a way that is much more organic and feels kind of like mini epiphanies as opposed to looking at each card like without any context whatsoever. Yes, it's also comforting and encouraging. So if you pull up a card that freaks you out, if you're looking at the bigger picture of things, it's just a step on your journey. It's not exactly. The, it's, it's not the end of the world. You're just at a crisis point. And then what happens after the crisis point? You know, it, you when you understand literature, it's to me, it really makes some of the scarier cards more palatable or yes. easier to handle. Yeah. And I think that that's actually, that's the job of the reader. If you're reading for someone else, uh, one of your responsibilities as a reader is to translate that meaning in a, in a palatable way. So one of the cards that if for people who aren't familiar with, you know, the system of tarot, if you see the death card come up, it automatically, or the tower card, uh, you know, those who aren't familiar with the system and who don't read will automatically see that, look at that imagery and be like, well, that, that can't be good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if that comes up in your reading, you're like, well, I know that can't be good. So as the reader, you say, like, I can understand that reaction, but actually what this signifies, is just a, a closing for death. For example, this is, um, you know, it's a definitive closing of a chapter, if that makes any sense, you know, it doesn't mean that there's a, there's a death per se. What it means is you're getting ready to transition. You're getting ready to move on from one area to another area. So just buckle your seatbelt, but everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you have cards personally that you find alarming? <laughs> I honestly, the, the death card is one that definitely it sinks in with me. Uh, I'm a Scorpio and the death card is the card associated with a uh, Scorpio sun sign. Um, so there's just this, <laughs> sometimes I find it hard to transition. I enjoy change, but when something has been cut off, like when there's an ending point, 
that's where I find it difficult. You know, I've had to actually shadow work through, uh, through release work and things like that. I've had to say like, sometimes like, okay, you just can't keep carrying all of your baggage with you as you go from one place to the other, you're you're getting weighed down. Sometimes you just have to make that break. And that's something that shadow wise is a little bit difficult for me. So when the death card comes up, all of those, uh, everything that I just mentioned is, uh, comes to the fore. And that's why I think tarot is actually so interesting and why so many who are interested in it will continue their study of it because it's, it's just layers, yeah. just like an onion. There's so many layers. <laughs> so the shadow work that you do personally, I know you have an, a deep understanding of how shadow work works because I hear you talking about it. Is that something that you incorporate into your readings or that you help people with? Or is that not one of your offerings? That is absolutely one of my offerings. And it's actually my most popular offering. And I, I feel like it's something that many people are called to do, especially when they get to a point where they feel like they've exhausted all of their options, but they're still stuck. And I, I, I feel like shadow work can open the door and of course it agitates some things, but it's a good agitation. It starts to help you understand why you're stuck in this specific way. You know, why you can't take this specific calculated risk in order to move forward. You start to look back on the past and, uh, explore what things trigger you and, you know, explore how the emotion that you're feeling right now, uh, in response to this trigger, isn't necessarily the emotion of this moment, but it's also the emotion of whatever happened to you in the past. That's also being brought up at the same time. And the goal of shadow work really is to, to shed light on these things so you can have a greater understanding. And so you can kind of, uh, be empowered in the decisions that you make. Um, Basically, you can say, oh, wow, I'm having this reaction. You have this awareness. You can take a step back before you do anything rash. You can try to connect why it's happening. And you can live in a more mindful way. Yeah, you just said something that two things that really resonate with me. One about the emotion you're having right now might not be the the emotion of the moment that the moment calls for but it could be <laughs> something from the past that's that's so right on Jesse and <laughs> the other thing is you said it's about shadow work is about shining light on these things and i always think it's interesting a lot of people that call themselves light workers are very much into ascension and being positive all the time and being very light and love all the time but I've always, when I hear light worker, I think of shadow work because we're shining light where there is none. We're shining light on the shadows and it's very illuminating. So that term has, has I don't know, I have I experience it in a different way than a lot of people do. But I appreciate people like you that help people through that, that you're kind of a, a light worker for other people in that way. I, that's really sweet. <laughs> I, and I endeavor to be, and I think it's because my own, my own journey with shadow work and, you know, exploring the past and how it influences, you know, my decisions and thought processes now was just so freaking profound for me that I was like, I need to help people who want to be helped with this because I feel like having gone through it, 
I have some experience there and I, I, I can help guidance wise and hopefully help them help them through it. I mean, I do have this desire that like, I always wish people didn't have to like, like suffer, suffer. Let me put it that way. And I know that that's completely unrealistic, but whenever I see someone like suffering in a certain way, and I think maybe I might have some insight that could help them. Like that's, that's, the drive. That's kind of the reason why I do tarot in the first place, I think. Mm. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Do you know the term pronoia? I don't. Enlighten me. (laughs) I did. I think it was a podcast. I was talking about astrologers and tarot readers and pronoia. Pronoia is the opposite of paranoia. So it's assuming that everything that happens to you is happening for a reason and for, for a good reason that you're being supported in some way, even if it's scary. And that's how I personally interpret astrology and tarot is, and, uh, I noticed that's not super popular. Like on Twitter, there's some tarot readers and astrologers I follow that have a lot of sass, you know, and they're like, some cards are just bad cards. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you're fucked, you're fucked. <laughs> I, I like to give it to people straight. And I'm just like, wow, I don't know about that. I don't feel that way. I feel differently about it. I have this sort of pronoia approach to... And, and you know what? Here's the thing. If it's not true, if something crappy is happening to me, just because life sucks and crappy things happen, it it's still when I put myself in the mindset of pronoia, when I think, well, this is happening for a reason, I can move through it much more quickly and and empower myself to, to make the best of it, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think it goes back to this idea of context, you know, when like something really shitty happens to you. Um, I think it's it's healthier to look at that in terms of like the context of your life and the doors that that might be opening at the same rate. Um, and I I don't think this is what you're talking about at all. Um, pretending something's not bad (laughs) when it is, is, is not necessarily my cup of tea, but looking at something and saying, this is kind of shitty. Let me see if I can find the silver lining here. And cause honestly, for me, some of uh, so many of the hardships that I've like faced personally speaking have really pushed me to be the person I've always wanted to be. Like they've always pushed me to be braver, to, to really consider difficult situ like difficult decisions and to consider how my decisions affect other people and like to, to not be as selfish as I might be if I weren't challenged. So I think that, you know, some of the most difficult things that we go through are they, they push us to test the limits of what we're capable. And when we discover what we're capable of, we, we are empowered because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, theory, critical critical theory a theory i have is that our souls have a mission or a purpose or a desire that might not be (laughs) reflective of like our i want to say ego but i don't mean this in a bad way i think the ego is a very good thing but our ego doesn't always recognize that and can be very threatened by these Mm -hmm. these soul drives that create these because our you know our soul maybe wants to be courageous or maybe needs to develop some different characteristics to be able to achieve like the ultimate goal for our lives or whatever. So that's just a, 
a personal way of looking at it. I don't know if that's true, but it's what feels true to me. And that, and so, and so that's how I see it. (laughs) Which is wonderful. And I do agree with you. I feel like sometimes even my intuition is, and I will get very, very strong intuitive feelings. Not all the time, mind you, but when I get them, I get them. The ones where I'm like, this is the decision that has to be made. And I don't really have any kind of logical reason why this is the decision. I just know it. Every time I get one of those feelings though, I know I have to buckle my seatbelt because I'm like in for a ride. Mm. And I feel like it's my soul's way of saying, this is something you have to do. And because it's going to promote growth in you, it's not going to be easy, but you always told me that you wanted to grow spiritually and you wanted to test the limits. So here I'm giving it to you. Here's the opportunity. Go for it. You can, you can handle it. (laughs) That's good. Do you have a way of courting more of those moments, like developing intuition, keeping in touch with, with what might be the voice of your soul or your guides or I definitely, uh, go to my altar and I will hang out on the astral. And for me, that is really a way to help me develop my intuition and also to have a a conversation with my, my subconscious. Um, I am able to evoke images in, in my mind and I'll go and I'll get myself into a state where, um, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out in a certain headspace. You can call it whatever you want to call it. And everything is really symbolic. <laughs> so, and it's, it's given to me. It's like, I open myself to that kind of like inner soul knowledge, or you can even say the collective unconscious. If you jive with young and anything like that, I open myself to those messages and then I come out of it and it's my job. And this could just because be because I'm a critical theory junkie too. It's my job to decode those messages and figure out what they're trying to say. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely why you're a tarot reader. I mean, that's the work of it right there, whether it's happening in your mind or on a card. I mean, it's, we're working with symbols to communicate with something. I know different people attribute it to different things, but I think of it as your soul or your higher self. Oh, for certain. (laughs) And it's fun. I actually happen to find it incredibly fun. And I think that that's another reason why I'm so drawn to it and why I do it. Like I've always, I've loved whenever I got a paper assigned, I was like, yes. And people are like, you're such a nerd. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, this is so much fun. It's like working out a really interesting puzzle. And and I'm, I'm down to work it out. I really want to know what's trying to be expressed here. I'm really curious. I'm really interested. And I want to know. Yes. Yes. I think being a reader as well, like, I mean, a book reader, not a card reader, it being a reader of books, a book lover, Mm -hmm. a book lover, a book nerd prepares you for being a tarot reader or doing the kind of work you were talking about doing at your altar, because as you're reading I love reading because it's collaborative. It's mm-hmm. it's you and the writer both together creating this world, right? Because you're putting your own pictures in it. You're envisioning something in your mind that maybe the writer not might not have had in his or her mind when, when she was writing the thing. And so it really develops that part of ourselves, I think, especially if you're an early reader when you're very young. And, and to me, it makes perfect sense that writers and readers would just gravitate toward tarot cards. Me too. And I'm actually, I'm pleasantly surprised, um, to have had, uh, some clients or querents who are actually pursuing PhDs, like more than I ever would have thought, honestly. 
uh, because sometimes academia can be a little bit uh, logical and restrictive in terms of the esoteric, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And sometimes and sometimes it's not. And I, I'm like, this is really cool. Like, I, I enjoy this, this open-mindedness of academia to things that can't necessarily be completely nailed down or logically explained or, you know, just this openness to different methods of, of self-discovery and of learning about the self. Yeah. I think. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to go on another ramble, you know, <laughs> do it, do it. This is a platform for rambling, Jesse. This, this is what we do here. I, and okay. So let me get up on my soapbox. I, I think that it would benefit us as a society to be more self-reflective. And I think that many of the decisions that are made that aren't made with the good, you know, the good of everyone in mind or that are made hastily without self-reflection, uh, some of the reasons why we experience so much conflict with each other, why we can't communicate effectively with each other, um, you know, why there's just a, such a huge disconnect from time to time. I feel like the process of self-reflection, of understanding the self, of looking at the self in a way that can sometimes be really difficult, um, invites, invites compassion. Um, if you're able to look at your own, you know, your own flaws and your own weaknesses for lack of better words, then maybe you won't be so hasty to judge others, especially you won't be so hasty to project that onto other people. Like, I think this work is actually like the work of peace and maybe that is totally hyperbolic, but you know, getting into my, my theory of (laughs) what it can actually potentially be. No, I totally am down with that. I was doing shadow work before I got into Tarot and that's what it did for me. It became very fascinating. And, and then you get to a point where it helps you understand people better, right? You have more Mm -hmm. compassion for yourself. You have more compassion for other people for the way I experienced that was I got to a point where I realized okay, you can, you can take this compassion thing like so far where you're like, oh, well, this is why he's doing that. And so, you know, this happened when he was a child. And so, you know, and I, I, I needed to strengthen my boundaries after that because I Mm -hmm. realized I was actually over empathizing with people (laughs) and giving them like, I was just giving them excuses and reasons for everything. Cause like, Oh, that's their shadow. They only said this. Right. X, Y, Z. And it was an interesting point. I actually, I actually used to do that before I got into shadow work. And I think when you do shadow work, also the, the question of boundaries, uh, arises and, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I understand why you're acting like this. You know, like I can see the shadow here, but just because you have that shadow doesn't mean you get to treat me like shit. And like, that's the boundary. It's like, I hear you. I see you. I understand you. However, that doesn't give you a free pass to be shitty to me or anybody else for that matter. Mm -hmm. Good, good boundaries, I think are built on empathy anyway, because if there's an emotional charge to something, if you're like, this guy's such a dick, I hate him, oh my God, <laughs> he did all these things, um, you're not really releasing it and letting it go when you put that boundary up. It's like it's like the border wall of, of spite and anger. Whereas if you yes. have compassion, you can be like, okay, I see you, I see why this is happening, and I'm... And, I'm sorry, but I'm putting this boundary up because I love myself and I want to have a beautiful life. And I wish the same for you. Goodbye now. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
And I found like creating boundaries with people that I care deeply about and that I spend a lot of time with that for me is the most difficult. That is the challenge. It's actually easier for me sometimes if it's someone who's not really like in my inner fold, if someone that I like that I'm not super close to, I can just be like, all right, nope, don't have time for this. When it's someone I love very deeply and I have to set boundaries, that's what I find to be very challenging. But like that has been the work of this past year for me, I'd say Mm. is like, there are these people I love that I, I, I'm not like, I'm not going to terminate the relationship with any of these people. What I have to learn to do is to set the boundaries I need to set in order to try to have a healthy relationship with these people, like for the good of both of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of us have to do that with our families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's what comes to mind. That's who I'm speaking about specifically. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think a lot of people that gravitate toward magic and tarot, uh, a lot of us come from families that have a judgment on that specifically outside mm-hmm. of whatever other issues you might have in your family. So I'm sure a lot of people listening right now totally relate to what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, my family was pretty good about about the, the tarot. I, I think maybe my husband's family has an inkling and there's one person there that's pretty religious that might have an issue. But I think I've like, I've parsed it out like in little hints and whatnot over time that if it was to come to light, it would kind of, it would just be like, ah, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. I was, I did, I did that. That was a slow, that was slow. You know, I'd like, they come to visit and I like, I wouldn't put all the witchy stuff away, you know, like I probably put away, like I put away the pentacle, but like there'd be an arrangement of crystals and maybe a nice little box with some stuff in it. Like I tried to like, you know, I put the cauldron away, but the, 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 the Tibetan bell and maybe, uh, you know, the incense and the sage was still out on display. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of warmed them up to it over time. Ease them into the fact that you're going to hell, Jesse. Exactly. Exactly. So that they're not surprised when it does happen. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, speaking of boundaries, another interesting thought I had when you were talking about that is morals, ethics, judgments, how far do you go when you're working with a client? Like what kind of boundaries do you have in place? What kind of responsibility do you take on? Like if you have to, if you're, if you think you need to break bad news to them, or do you feel that, that you need to do that? Or how, how do you approach that? Because I can imagine you come across some readings where it starts to get a little bit tricky it does, it does start to get tricky, especially when I'm doing shadow work readings. And honestly, I, I, it's a case by case basis. I use my discretion based on the tone of the query that I'm given. So if the tone of the query seems like this person, you know, if they've, they are kind of insinuating that they know a little bit of what's going on, they're just looking to flesh things out. I will definitely deliver things um, more. Not, I'm always telling them like my own personal version of like the truth. I, I suppose you would call it. But if someone comes to me and the, the tone is much more, um, like I can tell they're in the middle of it. Um, and other tarot readers I've discussed this with too. Some readers won't read for someone who is in the midst of a crisis, and they they want to wait a week or a week and a half because they're afraid of what they they're say being like what they say what they tell them being taken far too literally in the moment 
Um, so, you know, if you break bad news, if someone's already really down there, it could have a devastating, a potentially devastating effect. Whereas if someone has processed a little bit and they come to a reading, you can share more information knowing that they're of a sound, um, sound, sound mind and emotional state. Like if, if you do readings the way that I do, you definitely do open yourself to trying to help people who may be going through really difficult times and who may be dealing with some really difficult things. And for me, I don't take that responsibility lightly. Like I, if there some readings I'll sit with, you know, I'll wait a day or two to do the reading because I need to make sure that I'm doing this really responsibly. And I definitely think of the effect that, that my words have on someone and it's a position that you're, you're given a lot of power. Also, people are very vulnerable with you and they entrust you with some of their deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, so making light of that for me is never an option. Um, I have great respect for, for what I do and for what people are going through. And I always take that into account when I'm reading. Yeah, I'll bet people tell you a lot. Well, I mean, if why would you buy? A, I mean, I'm sure people buy tarot readings because it's their birthday or it's the beginning of the year. But I would imagine even more people do it because they've hit some kind of wall within their own understanding of something that is pretty important to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know the the disillusion of really important relationships. Um, you know feeling, feeling stuck, feeling trapped, you know, the ending of a job that someone thought they were going to have for a long time. And they're not really sure where to go from here. Like very serious life transitions. I've had people come to me with like, we're not, you know, if you, if you're thinking like it's a parlor trick, like not the, not the type that I do per se. It's like people are coming to me where they, they really need some guidance because, sometimes things have just come crashing down in a really serious way. And they, they're just trying to build things back up again. And that's daunting. And they're just looking for some, some clarity so that they know what's the next step they should take. Mm. Can we, can we play a little game that I, sure. I just made up? <laughs> okay. You can, you can shoot it down if I say what it is and you're like, Oh yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, so let's say I'm a man whose girlfriend has, cheated on me a couple of times. I've given her a third chance and I'm writing to you, Jesse, because I got a bad vibe about this and I can't decide. I love her. I want to stay, but I can't decide. And then you pull for me three of swords, 10 of swords and the tower. Uh, if you are trying to gently guide me through this without I mean, what do you say without being responsible for, Jesse told me to leave her, so I'm leaving her. Do you know what I mean? Like, how, how would you navigate through cards like that? I have a tendency to apply it very specifically to a situation, and I create positions. So say you got the three of swords in a position that was, like, what's my current psycho-spiritual state? I would say you're experiencing a great deal of pain as a result of the dynamics of this relationship. You know, um, you've broken up, you've gotten back together, broken up. There's been some infidelity in the relationship and this has caused you to, to just enter a state of almost, you know, perpetual pain and suffering over the, the dynamics of this relationship. And honestly, I would probably go into a little bit of depth 
about relationship dynamics and how that might be, uh, you know, mirrored through childhood experiences or through experiences with parents. Um, but then if we had the 10 of swords was the next card, right? Yes. Okay. And, you know, after exploring that, I'd say that there's definitely the potential for, um, a new start now, whether or not this is within the context of your current relationship, um, you know, has yet to be, to be divined or discovered, but I would definitely take a really good look at why you are the reasons that you're continuing this relationship. Is this, you know, is this influenced? Are you, are your decisions being driven more so by fear than by desire? You know, um, you know, why do you find yourself in this cycle? Does this cycle mirror cycles you've been in before? Um, could it potentially be time to, you know, take a step back and explore what it is that you want and maybe take some time to yourself to see if you can try to break this cycle. And the last card, the tower, the tower, um, you're getting strong messages. And this is why I did it this way. Cause I usually do it as a progression. You're getting really strong messages that this is potentially a time to, uh, to let things shift in a really major way. Um, it might be time to consider doing something completely different. There's like a strong indication here that whatever you had, your, your foundations are not stable. The foundations aren't stable within the relationship and rebuild a process of rebuilding is being called, uh, called for. And I would ultimately probably give the advice that maybe it's time to take a step back and try something new, but I am very much of the choose your own adventure. Like I'm here to help you think about things and to guide you, but like, I will never, ever tell a person what they should do. I'll say like, maybe this is probably, uh, this is the message that I'm, I'm getting and I'll phrase it in that way. Um, just so I don't want to take any power away from, from the querent. And I know you've been speaking a lot about empowerment. Empowerment means feeling confident enough to make your own decisions that you don't have to rely on someone else to make these decisions for you, or you don't have to do things out of fear. You're doing it like from a place of power. And so I try to facilitate that. I never want to try to make someone's decisions for them because that's not, that's not asking them to grow in any way. Mm, You're empowering them. I'm, that's what I try to do. <laughs> that was, your, that reading was awesome. I'm so glad I asked. I was, well, thank you. I know that I think that gives us a good sample of what it might be like to get a reading with you. And you clearly have an understanding of psychology that, that definitely influences the way I read for sure. <laughs> yeah. I enjoy that. I enjoy that. You used the word psycho spiritual on your about page, I believe. And I was like, yes, that's what I really love. I think that's what magic is. That's what my kind of magic is, is that point where psychology and spirituality, they touch, you know, absolutely. You just demonstrated that so beautifully, like the, the psychology behind all of that, um, while giving what I consider like a magical reading to somebody and tapping into intuition, which is spiritual and, uh, these ma- I think tarot cards are magical because they they tap that. So oh, absolutely! It's like circular. It's like psychology, spirituality, psychology, spirituality. They just do this like dance together. I feel like they're just they work so well together. They really do, and I think there are some who feel like they they're mutually exclusive, and I don't see it that way at all. I feel like they they help one another, honestly. Yeah, I feel like if Young would have had another fifty years <laughs> in, in him, I think he would have 
he would have gone even further. It, you know, I know he was exploring that stuff, but I feel like he would have really kept going with it. And I think that's what people have carried on with his work are doing still today. But, uh, that, that validation, if he had even gone further than he did. Mm -hmm. um, I think Jung was magical. I think he's pretty darn magical. Yeah. You can't come up with the concept of the collective unconscious without being like uh, having some occult leanings <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or spiritual leanings, whatever you want to call it. Like you got it. Like thinking that everyone can un like unconsciously communicate with one another, like th there's a magic in that, you know. Yes, I feel like he lived a nice, long, good life, like a, a decent life uh, length. You know, I don't think he was, you know, his life was cut short or anything like that. But I do have this sense of like, oh, if he could have just had a few more decades, because I feel like he was just really getting started. Like um, he was, he was really, like rolling into that, and I guess that was our launch pad for you know the work that so many people have done since <laughs> mm -hmm. so true <laughs> yeah um but I always think about that like you know if you take a look at the red book for example it's like oh dude dude <laughs> could you have just stuck around a little bit longer I have so many just questions God, I just think a little bit just you know, flesh some of these things out a little bit more and more exploration I know I feel the same way <laughs> Um, and, um, just to, just to bring this around to a very shocking word, one of my favorite words, do you call yourself a witch? I do call myself a witch and it works. I feel it. I already, like, I, I already knew that about you, but I was, I, was <laughs> I call myself a witch unabashedly. I, it resonates more with me than does like the, the term pagan. Even I feel like it's, it's the perfect word for how I approach things and what it is that I do. Um, I almost like, even like within, uh, like academia, I kind of like the thought, like the, the idea of being like a, a bit of a heretic, if that makes any sense, you know, it, it like, it insinuates you're, you're pushing the boundaries. You're not going to stay, uh, you're not going to stay within some kind of pre-prescribed like little structure or box. You're, you're endlessly curious. And I think that's something that, you know, witchcraft and, you know, the best of the academics definitely share is like this need to just keep on pushing into new territory and being experimental with things. So like the experimental element and the, like the flexible element, like which resonates with me in that yes, way. Yes. I love that. I love that. Be a heretic. Call yourself. Exactly. Call yourself <laughs> yeah. I, I really, really strongly relate to that for sure. Uh, that's, that's one of the main reasons I love that word so much. Um, I also really, this is totally like we're taking a turn here, but there's something that you offer that I haven't had a chance to check out myself. So I wanted to ask you about it. Um, before I forget, you have an ebook. It's a free ebook. Yes, called I a, do. A ritual of forgiveness. I guess talking about being a witch made me think of that because ritual is in the title and I associate, you know, witches with rituals, magical rituals. Um, so what is this? A ritual of forgiveness. This is actually, um, I sat down, I felt like I needed to write this, uh, because the forgiveness process has been so instrumental in me in terms of being able to create those boundaries and being able to, you know, create relationships now, like from now on that are much healthier. And it relied upon being able to forgive, you know, myself for the mistakes that I'd made and be able to forgive other people for like the hurt that they caused. So I basically, I wrote a book that, 
has that details seven, seven days worth of, uh, like forgiveness process. So it doesn't have to be done within a solid week, but it's, it's meant it's scaffolded. It's meant to like, you know, start off with the process and then work through it. And then it like culminates in a ritual and writing a forgiveness letter and, you know, doing release work and it can be repeated, you know, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat when, like whenever, whenever is necessary. So I go into a pretty decent detail about what it is that I do specifically. And I share, um, just my ritual ideas and the practices that I do that help me to forgive and move forward. Yes. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is very underrated in the witchy community. It's something you hear a lot about in spiritual communities, new age communities, Christian communities, but it's very powerful and magical. It can completely change your life. And to me, they go, uh, shadow work and forgiveness go hand in hand. Forgiveness to me is an aspect of shadow work. It absolutely is. And it's, it's not so much for, for the people you're forgiving. It's more so for yourself. Like sometimes if you can, you know, find it in your heart to say, you know what, like I I forgive you for this thing that you did to me, then you can just let go in a certain way. It's like letting go of the, of the grudge that you may have held for for years and years and years. It's also asking you to go through the process of letting that, letting that go in a very conscious way. Is it Anne? I think it's Anne Lamott who says something about holding a grudge is like drinking rat poisoning and expecting the other person to die. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I may have messed it up, but that's Uh, close to what she says. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I, I, I don't know when this dawned on me, Um, it was like a certain grudge that I was holding, you know, over years, um, very like silently simmering. I was just like, you know what? That person's probably not even thinking about me, like even at all anymore. Like it was just like this huge realization of like, I I still have this, this, this feeling in my heart and that person probably never even thinks about me. Mm -hmm. Like it's been so long since this has even happened. They probably, because they did the hurting, they don't have the same adrenaline rush, the same reaction, the same imprinting. It's like, they're not even thinking about this. Like it's not hurting them. So all I'm allowing them to do is hurt me over and over and over again. If like by not letting this go. Yep. That's the root of it right there for sure. We think, I think a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times I think we think we're punishing the other person and we're really punishing ourselves. And you have (laughs) have these like crazy conversations with yourself. These always happen to me in the shower or I'm like giving a speech to the person in my head or I'm like explaining to them what they did. And it's like, how many times have I actually... Given have this. I recited this? Yes, Dude, I, yes. I have some version of this in some of the most epic ways in my head. I like I've like gotten an Oscar in my head for like the wrath <laughs> that I have that I've brought in this one scene, <laughs> and I'm just like, girl, you need to move on. I'm like, oh, you're spending so much energy and so much time. Like you've even created a full scene. Why don't you go write a movie? Like, let's, let's go do that. Like, let's go, let's go write a novel instead of just playing this out over and over in your head and just letting it eat away at you. That's another good thing. Find it to find a channel for some people. That's a, that's a way of like releasing is if they like write it down or they create a piece of art from it. And that's another really good way to go about it, honestly. Absolutely. And I think to heal or heal thyself is circular. Like I was saying about, um, psychology and spirituality, they keep feeding each other. The healer heal thyself thing is too, because 
you heal yourself, then you want to help other people heal. And then in helping other people heal, you're healing more. And, and it just keeps going in a circle. So uh, what I love about Tarot is it's, it's a healing art. And mm-hmm. so it incorporates, it creates a creative channel in a similar way that being a painter might or being a writer might. Um, but then it has that healing component. And so it's, it's an incredible channel of just to keep, to keep the healing flowing, you know, out and in and out and in. For sure. And I think that's why I love it so much. Like it takes, it, it translates this critical theory that, you know, had I pursued it, uh, I would have written a book that maybe like 30 people would have read realistically. Like I know that it's Mm. like, or I can use those those abilities to actually do something like to actually help someone in a positive way. And I think that that's why, that's why I love it so much. It takes like the thing that I intrinsically love and it applies it in the service of helping other people like become empowered and like do their damn thing. So that's why I dig it. Yeah. I like this seven day process too, that you said, you know, rinse and repeat because I've experienced that. Like I've tried to cut energetic cords with a person for ex- just using that as an example. And there is some relief in doing it. And, but then it like comes back around and something like gets their hooks back in. And so I've had to mm-hmm. do it multiple times, depending, depending on the situation and the person. And maybe it's just cause the cord is just so big. <laughs> you're only exactly like, you know, like, you just have to like, it's like you, your scissors can't quite cut through it all the way. And it just takes a few t- tries. Um, but hanging, keeping with it, you know, and working the process, even if you need to work it, more than one time that that can happen too because sometimes these things speaking of shadows they reach deep into the shadows and the shadow is unconscious that's what it is so you can be like yeah I'm done with it I did my ritual and your shadow can be like ha ha <laughs> yeah right no there's all this other crap under here that you didn't even know about it's true and it is a continual process and I don't know if I was like chatting about it in a video or on an Instagram post or something. But like I was saying that like, yeah, this is definitely a continual process and don't be so hard on yourself. If you shadow worked that you did your release work, you did your forgiveness work and like two years pass. And then all of a sudden there comes that person again, or like there, you know, up pops that, that certain traumatic incident. It does not mean you have failed. It just means you need to revisit and maybe do the process again, just so you can be healthy in the moment. And there's nothing is ever completely finalized when it comes to doing spiritual work. I, I, I personally think, and when we get it into our heads that that's a potential, we set ourselves up for, for failure or, um, uh, dis- like despondency. Like it's like, Oh, well, why do I even bother? It, it's, it's always going to be a process. And what you do is it's maintenance. Um, it's like soul maintenance. You're trying to, you know, keep your soul clear, keep things, um, you know, feeling good and okay and healthy. And it's, it's, it's not like you can't just put a one tank of gas in the car and expect it to go across the country. Like it needs to be re-upped from time to time. That's a good way of putting it. That's a really good way of putting it. So if people want to get this ebook, a ritual of forgiveness, where, how do they find it? You can find it uh, by going to www.jessiehuntenberg.com. Scroll down the homepage, and it's easily downloadable there. Um, in order to sign up for the 
the mailing list subscriber list. I actually have another one called 22 rituals or 22 mantras inspired by tarot for daily mantras, uh, inspired by the major arcana. So that's an option, um, by subscribing to my newsletter, which goes out every week. So there's all kinds, there's all kinds of stuff on the website. There's, a, a, a collection of, uh, tarot, tarot spreads that I've created throughout, uh, throughout the year, years, years <laughs> with, with context and how to use them and all kinds of, all kinds of information, stuff about ritual, witchcraft, tarot, the, the whole lot of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot to look at on your website and you really do have a lot of different tarot spreads and that's all free too. As far as I can tell, those are, those are blog posts of yours, right? They are blog posts of mine and they are free. And I really, I have, uh, created a little collection of them so that you don't have to scroll through all of my blog posts. You can just go to the tarot spread section and you can easily access all the posts that have original tarot spreads that I created there. That is so cool. I hope they go pick up a ritual of forgiveness, that ebook. Um, That sounds really, really cool. And um, before I let you go, I have to ask, what is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? It could be anything. To to listen to yourself above all, um, to try to, you know, everyone has their own thoughts about what you should be doing. You know, some are, some are selfish, some are not. Sometimes people just want to protect you or they want to make sure that you're safe and that you're doing the right thing. The only person who knows what's, what's right for you is you. Uh, so if you have a feeling about something, um, that you really want to try something, you want to take a risk, you want to put yourself out there, do not let anyone dissuade you from that and be willing to, of course, do the work that it takes to, to see your, your, your intentions manifested, but don't let people shut you down. (laughs) Just, it's hard. It's hard to sometimes say that this is what you're going to do, especially if it's like a little bit off the beaten path, but you just have to trust in yourself and your ability to do it. And you just have to be able to channel that, that strength. And also like the queen archetype, honestly, you have to be able to channel that archetype. Like, no, I can do this. I don't need to rely on uh, other people's like opinions or like, I know what I need and I can go for that respectfully of like myself and other people too. I love it. Thank you. so. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. This was awesome. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Joanna, so much for having me on. This was amazing. Thank you for chatting. (laughs) Much love, everybody. Peace.